You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 394, the Woodstock Festival and the worst job in the world, the pay-to-play gig scandal and the joy that is prog rock. It's all coming up after the Railway Children and Every Beat of the Heart.
band who had the capacity to produce great pop songs, but who never achieved the success they deserved, I think. This was their only single that made the charts, number 24 here in the UK in 1990, The Railway Children and Every Beat of the Heart. I have to say, you're mm. right about them. There, there, was, mm. there was sort of a crop of those bands in the mm. late 80s and the early 90s that you'd always think, oh, they're going to be enormous. Yeah. And then and then they weren't. I always think of the... I put them... They're not quite the same type of music. I put them in the same sort of bracket as the Fraser Chorus mm. as well. I love Cloud 8. I think it's such mm. a great song. And I've always thought, oh, wouldn't they... I would, one of those bands that I would have expected to have been enormous and then just somehow weren't, really. <laughs> yes, I don't understand. I occasionally see Railway ch- Children singles in charity shops. Oh, really? And think and I never quite expected to find them there, really. But I'm, I, I've got quite a collection of random railway children records. It's one of those inexplicable things. A good-looking lad, you know, as a singer, very photogenic, good videos, um, you know, good pop um, compositions. Just inexplicable, really. Just one yeah. of those things. It's, it's just luck. It's just yeah, it really ra- is. It's yeah. random luck sometimes to what works and what doesn't. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. This is episode 394. I'm Terence Stackham, and warning, contents may settle in transit. <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. That is a, a, an enjoyable piece of bands, Terence. <laughs> Excellent work. Hello, everyone. Earlier this week, Jules, I thought I'd stumbled across the best job in the world. The, the story in the British papers was all about one of these... Um, intimate exposés that certain sections of our press uh, appear to revel in as if we're still living in the 1950s. Um, The story, I'm not going to go into details of it about it because that's not the thing, but the story was about a man and a woman who work at Windsor Castle and were, in the strange vocabulary of the uh, popular press, enjoying romps and trysts at various locations at Windsor Castle. But the bit that intrigued me is that the gentleman romper... Mm. as a role as the Queen's Fender Smith, which means he goes round keeping fires going at Windsor Castle. Now, I was say, is he responsible for restringing the Queen's guitars? I thought that's what Fender Smith <laughs> Fender Smith, Smith that's meant. right, yeah. Thank you for giving that joke a better reception <laughs> completely deserved. Yes, OK. I think I, made your points, thanks. I, I've got to be very careful here, though, how I word this, or I could end up jailed at the Tower of London, so I mustn't make reference... Um, to this chap stoking the Queen's fires because, you know, that would be entirely inappropriate. But but why is there no eye-roll emoji? (laughs) That's what I want to know. But what a great job. He ambles around Windsor Castle and bungs a few logs on the fire, the Queen's Fendersmith. But this set us um, out thinking about the worst jobs in the world. And (laughs) for years, I believed that the worst job ever was the bloke in the Woodstock movie who worked for Portosan, the mobile toilet company, and his job was to vacuum... Well, you'd have to watch the movie for full details. But, uh, Jules, if worse came to the worst, what would be the job you would really consider the worst in the world? Well, I don't. I really cannot stand eating fish with bones in, just because. Oh, the thought of bones in Ooh. fish just makes Ooh. me gag slightly. Ooh. So probably the worst, the worst job ever for me would probably be gutting fish and Ooh, boning yes. fish, because oh, that would God. mean, I don't know that. Oh man, yeah, that would be that would be That's not good at grim. all. So, but but oh, anything involving. As someone that is a high-functioning dyspraxic, is that if there's some sort of job where you have to catch a ball for a living, because oh, I don't yes, think catching a ball in, in my catching a ball in my left hand, so any kind of baseball attendant kind of job, I do not think I would be good at. It, 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 you know, all jobs, and this is a, I think perhaps a sort of a 
a, a sign of the modern world. My mum was having a, I don't want to say coffee morning because they're not that formal, but my mum was meeting up with a number of her friends recently who are all of fairly sort of similar ages. So most of their children are of sort of my age, late 20s, early 30s, etc. And every single sort of parent of my mum's age says exactly the same thing, which is... All of our children seem to be under such pressure at work, no matter what they do, whether they do relatively high flow of things. I think, I'm, you know, I'm a solicitor. One of my, one, one of my friends, my mum's friend's kids is an architect. Mm. Someone's a personal trainer. Even the people that work in shops who have, or have relatively kind of mm. lower down admin jobs, everybody seems to be under unbelievable pressure and that we have a real target culture mm. and we're all very stressed at work for different reasons. And my mum and friends always used to say, it, it wasn't like this when we were younger. My mum said, you know, in the 70s, she walked out of a job that she absolutely hated and went down the labour exchange and had another one by Monday, oh, which just feels like yeah. a, an yeah. alien world to, to those mm. of us millennials and, and ex-ennials, uh, depending on your sort of era of birth. But it's so so it does it does feel now like every job seems to be having a go at being the worst job in the world because all management expectations are so unrealistic in some cases there's quite a lot of poor management around i think i i wonder if that's only going to get worse as we live in a more online world and people grow up sort of constantly fixed on screens what little social skills we have in terms of, <laughs> of dealing with people and being able to read people and getting on with people and being able to relate to people they're likely to get worse rather than better Better, aren't they? I'm sorry to be so downbeat, but but so in a way, mm. in every job has a better chance of being the worst job in the world than it did previously. It would seem because we're oh, so much is expected of people nowadays, which seems to be a bit a bit off, really. So I suppose I suppose really the best job in the world is something in which nothing is expected of you. So those jobs that you get, you know, when you have to go away and run an island for 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 a year or something, they, those jobs increasingly are quite appealing to me. But anything involving cutting fish, anything involving bodily fluids anything involving uh sort of any kind of ball catching and uh you know or anything involving being able to to completely see out of both eyes at once because that's becoming quite an issue for me as well so so anything that involves seeing i'm not i'm not that keen on so if you've got a job that doesn't involve having to look at things i'd be quite into that i remember the the, the, the worst job i ever actually did have back in back in the days before student loans um most of us uh, college people used to used to work through the summer holidays, so yeah. we would have some money to live on during the next term at yeah. college. That's exactly and, what I did, actually. Mm. You know, I did have a, a, a student loan, but I, I supplemented my income yeah. with, with, yeah. with various things. And one summer, I ended up at R. White's Lemonade Factory in West London uh, in the summer for a few weeks. Mm, the Lemonade Factory. That's it. it. Yeah, yeah. R. White's, Lem- R. White's Lemonade, um, where students were. Taken on the summer for a few weeks, and our job was to take bottles off a conveyor belt, plonk them in crates, ready to go out on lorries. Well, that, that was tedious enough, but the worst of it was when the conveyor belt kept breaking down, and instead of being allowed to just like hang out waiting for it to be mm. fixed, um, you know what? The, this each time this conveyor belt broke. Um, we were told to keep looking busy in case any managers were looking. So I was handed a broom. I was about 16, I think, maybe 15, mm. 16. And I was handed a broom and told to just keep sweeping, even if the floor was clean, just so that I would look busy. And I, I found this absolutely soul-destroying because just doing something meaningless to look busy, a bit like mm. being a politician, really, but it, it seriously made me realise that I simply had to do something with my life because I just could never <laughs> ever bear ever again to think 
I'm going to push a broom just to look like I had something to do. You know, I just couldn't think. I imagine I'd got it. You know, I was like 16. I thought, imagine I had to do this for 50 years. And it just like did my head in. So it really made so me knuckle down. The be- in a way, it's the best thing that's ever happened to you, I mm. suspect, in mm. the long term. Jobs I could never do, like you said, it would all involve anything where I had to interact or in in particular, serve the public. <laughs> I would be sacked within 10 minutes. I could never be a waiter or a shop assistant. The merest hint of anyone talking down to me or even just being difficult or complaining, I'd tell them to F off and I'd be fired on my fourth, first morning. I, I, well, I, I was going to say, I don't think you would You would have done my Marks and Spencer's no. uh, textile section summer account, summer job then. I don't think that would, have, that would have suited you very well, I don't think. I'd be worse than Basil Fawlty at this. I just couldn't do it. Coming next, our follow-up to last week's discussion about support bands. This week, we've learned about venues that charge bands to play there. Uh, That's next, right after this lovely, lovely track chosen by Juliet. It's Al Green.
I always feel whenever um, whenever Al Green is singing anything, he's just explaining life to me, really. I uh, The way that he sort of sings almost conversationally, it's like you're having a chat, really, and he's just explaining how the world should be. I've got a slight theme to my two, two, two uh, songs that I've picked this week. We haven't, we tend to stay off current affairs nowadays, mostly because A, there's so much of it, and B, it's just so soul-destroying, but I think those are our main reasons, but I, I have expressed myself in a medium of song this week. We've got some, some a little bit of local difficulty with the Labour Party here in Britain this week um, in that some people have left it to sit somewhere else in Parliament mm. because they don't like them anymore and it's all extremely stressful if you are in the orbit of the Labour Party or even <laughs> if you just want a functioning opposition I think at the moment. It's, always quite str- it's also quite stressful for that as well. So I've decided to go both sides of the Great Divide this week and, and, and take on both express both opinions in song for what people think should happen about Labour. So that's the uh, that's the unifying track Let's Stay Together by Al Green. I bought this album in 1972 with, I seem to remember, with a record token that I'd got for, for ah. a birthday. And I still have it. I've still got the vinyl copy. On, on the front sleeve, though, um, Al Green, he looks like the coolest guy really in the world. Does, I so he? wanted his jacket. It's all kind of suede leather and zips. Mm. It's, a, it's a terrible sleeve photo taken against some mouldy old wall. But, oh, man, that Al Green <laughs> and his jacket. It's a wonderful track, masterful album. Nine tracks, 34 minutes, perfect. Absolutely, don't you know why? 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 Why waste any more time? Frankly, um, interesting that you say you bought it. You bought them with a record token. Yeah. I wonder if um, on the on the heels of uh, vinyl making a comeback, the record token will therefore make a comeback, <laughs> yeah. a comeback as well. That would be quite good, wouldn't it? They were just a flimsy bit of paper inside a card, weren't they? So like, well, best wishes from Auntie Vera or something, and then a, a ten yes. and a ten shilling or a fifteen shilling shilling back then uh, record token. You oh, 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 enough to get an album, and off you go. Absolutely. Although it had to be a fifteen or twenty pound record token nowadays, wouldn't it? I love the fact. I love the fact when your introduction to the like, the next topic, um, we our follow up to last hmm. week's uh, thing about support acts. If anything, the thing, the the feature about support acts last week was the support acts of this next feature. <laughs> oh, very good. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's it. And so, welcoming onto the stage today's main act. Um, I've got a, I've got a friend who lives in Los Angeles. She's in a band that plays locally around the LA area, and she happened to hear us talking about support bands last week, and. Um, whether it was the right thing to turn up and actually listen to support bands and so on. Well, um, her name's Sarah. Sarah, she asked me if it was common practice in Europe, and particularly the UK, of course, where we are, to have to pay to play as it's very, very common in Los Angeles. Um, A week or two ago, her band played at the Whiskey A Go-Go, which is a hugely prestigious venue on Sunset Strip. Everybody's played there. The Birds, uh, The Doors, Led Zeppelin. But notice that those names... They're all from a long ago era because now the whiskey, in common with many other venues um, in America, particularly California, they offer bands the opportunity to play, but only if you, the band or artist, pay the venue close to $1,000 in America for you to have the privilege to play there. Now, I understand that pay-to-play is largely frowned on over here in London, in the UK. The Musicians' Union are fully against it, and there are websites and Facebook pages outing venues who try it on. But I'm interested, where do you stand on this, Jules? Because as a working musician, you're in a band, just released um, a a mini-album. Would you, if a really prestigious venue came and knocking and said, oh, yeah, we'd love you to come and play at our venue, but would you pay to play at this prestigious venue? Well, this is a really interesting question. I, I, at first, I struggled to kind of work out what I thought about this. Mm. But actually, I was able to refer to a topic passim that we dealt with here mm. on the uh, Rocking on the uh, Rockin Vickers podcast, Parish Council, 
Hasim, um, we talked about, do you remember that bizarre chap called Threatin? Oh, That pretended yes. to be yeah. a band and booked an entire, <laughs> bought an entire tour over yeah. here, and then it turned out three people turned out to watch mm. him when he told the venues and somewhat naive promoters that um, that they'd be able to deliver <laughs> a thousand yes. people. Oh, well, that, that led me to think about this and made me think, what is it that you're paying for? This is my yeah. question, because yes, I would love to play at these venues. Part of me shies away from it because I would want to get there on merit rather than through a checkbook mm. and that might be astonishingly naive to some but I doesn't it doesn't feel the same when I'm going back to our um, ongoing football sticker collections that are going on they're still going mm. on at the moment um we are getting to the stage where you know the swaps are mounting up and we and we need to try and get the, the collections for it finished and nowadays you can send off on a form for the last remaining 35 that you need to oh, order okay. which is nice hmm. and it means you can complete the books and it's therefore not a complete waste of money but it, it doesn't quite i remember i i finished my first and second ever football sticker books naturally just through being mm. able to swap and i think the last one or two i did have to send the forms off and sticking the last sticker in it didn't quite feel the same because mm. i bought them you know it wasn't mm. i hadn't quite earned them in the same way and i would probably feel the same way if i paid to play in a sort of venue that i wanted to perhaps in brighton or something like that but i do think what are you what are you paying for if you're just paying for the opportunity to appear on the stage who's responsible for getting the audience in mm. and does the audience want to go there to see you or not and the fact of the matter is if you've got if you've got enough of a following to fill the venue that you've paid to play then surely just get a gig there just naturally because if you've got that kind that number of fan base you should be getting those gigs anyway you shouldn't be having to pay to play for them it's that seems odd to me i mean so aside from the kind of the is it really worth it once you get there thing of just buying it to me it seems a bit a bit odd in the you know what's what's who's the audience who are you playing to who's who gets them there and if it's you then why not just try and put on gigs in the first place yeah i was a bit conflicted about this because obviously i can see that page play it's open to exploitation by venues particularly just creaming off money do no work and just you come in you play to two people as, as we were saying but i can also see from the venues point of view venues points of view that over decades they've often have to take the risk that a band or artist will bring in enough people for them to make a profit or at least say yeah. break even break even now from the young people i know that play at live venues uh it's certainly in the south of england at the moment there's often a sort of rule that you can play on a bill at a venue so long as and this is quite a similar sort of thing really you guarantee to bring along a stated number of friends or followers who will either pay to get in or at the very least if it's a free venue a pub or something buy several rounds of drinks at the bar yeah. which will enable the venue to turn a profit and that seems kind of reasonable to me as nobody wins if a a, a band are playing to an empty venue yeah, but the absolutely. danger lies when the venue I think simply exploits a band's dream to play at their legendary club or venue or whatever and does nothing else but take the fee even if the place is empty because if the venue clear but yeah, if the venue you clearly use any upfront money to help promote the band and gig and and works collaboratively with the artist then maybe there's some justification in in the whole thing but I think yeah I I think really my hopes that such venues or promoters actually exist is probably somewhat over optimistic well I'm, i mean it is 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's all things working. It's, weirdly, this is one this is where one place where my parallel careers kind of mm. work work similarly. In that, if you are a band that has a sort of a following and you can guarantee getting a certain audience, and then you're popular, then you're likely to get better, better paid gigs locally. And that's always been like that. Um, as a solicitor, if you're ever sort of looking, and certainly when I was growing up, I, I never quite understood what it meant, but now I do. If you're looking to move on to another firm, or particularly if, you, if you're looking at becoming a partner at another firm, the big question is always, do you have a following? Mm. And I never quite knew what that meant until seven years in, I realised I accidentally had one without even really mm. sort of trying, because you just do the work, and if you do it well, people come back to you. So, yes, you have to guarantee a following in order to sort of get on to a new and better position and to get a better pay gig in law. So it seems quite ironic really that's very similar to, to get wanted to get a pay, better paid gig as a band really but no I, I find it strange that you're buying something that's ultimately empty both them um, figuratively and possibly literally as well really so I yeah, yeah. I, I, I struggle I can I, I can see why I know I know that venues are taking a risk in the bands that they book but in a way part of me thinks well just have better intel about the band you're booking do your job better you know have mm. have more of an, an involvement in your local scene understand bands more you know have have a better in a way venues almost ought to have their own A&R really it's, it's like you know know about the bands that you're booking it's, it's your job to fill your venue ultimately it's, you, it's your decisions that either fill or don't fill your venue so don't blame bands be better at the bands that you book. What if it's a sort of outcome of the kind of Instagram generation, whereas where the, some of these um, bands are actually happier to have their photo taken with the on stage with the whiskey a go go backdrop behind them, so they can put that all over social media and say, "Hey, look at us." That's more important than actually getting people in or selling a few records. You know, the, the, the visual is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh, prog rock. How do we how do we love thee? Let us count the ways. Um, or should all prog rock albums be thrown into the deepest ocean? Um, that's next. <laughs> right after Don't Panic, it's the two minutes fifty-five second single version of your move by Yes. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day so satisfied I'm on my way. Straight and stronger course to the corner of your life. Make the white queen run so fast, she hasn't got time to make you wild. Cause it's time, it's time, it's time with your time, and this news is Yeah. 
28 years ago, in the very week we, we record this podcast, uh, this album and its follow-up, Fragile, were almost certainly the two most played albums on my turntable back in 1971. Incidentally, um, those were the days when it was quite common for a band to release three albums in a 12-month period, uh, mm. as, as Yes did uh, in, in that year. From the thoroughly splendid Yes album, a track released as a single, it actually reached number 40 on the Billboard Hot 100, Yes, and Your Move. Now, I think time is much kinder to prog rock than it has been to the punk rock music, which many felt was there to replace it. I doubt, maybe wrong, but I doubt there's many people who now play the Vibrators' first album or the Adverts or UK subs, but I I can play ELP or Yes or King Crimson, Tog Rundgren and so on. I, I don't remember that punk was specific, specifically against progressive rock. I think that was a music press mm. invention. Punk, and I think to some extent that was a retrospective imposition of a yes, narrative, I think, I think as well. Yes, I think it was. And um, I, I, I think punk was kind of set up by the media, yeah, to be against everything, really, not not just long-haired keyboard players. It was it was just a, a rebellious thing that the, the media decided it to be. Now, but, but you're from a much younger generation, Jules. You missed the whole prog rock genre when it actually happened in real time do you have room in your heart for the old prog rock i've got a little bit of a soft spot for prog Mm. rock i must admit although i I probably would say Mm. that my my real prog interests lie in a sort of a i don't know if it's a sub genre or a kind of a mutation or an evolution of prog rock called kraut rock that is really where my real sort of stuff like can is what is what i'm particularly kind of interested and enthused by but i do like a bit of prog rock you know, if I'm sort of out DJing, I have a certain amount, of, a certain number of records which I take with me, and I just sort of hope I get the chance to play them. They're the sort of quietish records that, if you play them early on, if you don't play them early on, you don't play them at all. I was delighted to have remembered and be able to play King of the Road the other day, for example. Mm. But, but in that kind of pile of records is Living in the Past by Jethro Tull. I love to find. <laughs> I know this is mad, but if you are eating your dinner unsuspectingly at ten to nine in Hastings on a Friday or a Saturday, mm. you might hear me play that occasionally I, ra- I rather like it and uh, it's got you know unused, it is a sort of the very sort of in the, what people see as a very what now that's what I call the very worst of prog rock <laughs> in that it's got a flute on it <laughs> and, it's a bit, and it's got a weird time signature and it wanders about a bit they weren't from Canterbury I don't think unlike pretty much every other prog rock band in a certain era <laughs> but but it's, it's I, you know I think I rather like about prog rock and the, the reason why I think it might have aged better than punk Hmm. is that punk punk seemed to me to be an aesthetic more than it did anything Mm. else it was a certain way of looking and a certain way of thinking it was quite a rigid idea it was was an ideology Hmm. whereas prog is just ideas it's mm. it's just this this just whenever I hear prog, that's what's so maddening, so great about prog. When you listen to a, a you know like a nine minute yes song, and it's about ninety <laughs> different songs in one song, often all at the same time, and it's maddening, and you can't quite grab hold of it, and it's up high, and then the keys change, and then the times are changing, and it's, it's it's mad, but it's great for that because it yeah. is genuinely it it stands up to repeated listening in a way that I'm not entirely convinced that the vibrators have. So there there is real depth and dimension to prog rock i think it sometimes 
takes itself a bit too seriously for that, I think. And I'm also here for the skewering of the pomposity of prog rock at all times as well. <laughs> but I, there's just something... There are so many different ways of prog rock. And I need to pick up the joke that I, I was too... Ner- I was I just <laughs> shy enough to interrupt you when you said, should prog rock be for, thrown to the, the depth of the deepest yeah. open, the deepest topographic... Oh, very good. Line. But, uh, yeah. Very good. I, I, so, I, you know, I quite like the fact that, you know, that prog rock is this... It's just this heap of bizarreness that that is is now pilloried as you know people in knitted waistcoats <laughs> stroking beers and listening to gong. But actually, there's a there's a lot about it that I just that I I just I, I like the fact that it is it takes itself too seriously. But that's often a sign of sincerity, I think. Hmm. And I have to say, um, boys from public school smashing stuff up, I never really saw as being that sincere. So many there were too many posh punks for it to really kind of hit home for me. Whereas prog everyone is of course everyone's posh because you have to go to posh university to think properly maybe i don't know (laughs) but um, but there's just something about it that i just i I can't help but like it because it is what it is in a way and 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 for me that is therefore more sincere than punk but the idea that if you're punk you do what you want and that's meant to be the height of sincerity to be a punk and to kind of say yeah this is me and i'm gonna gob on you if you don't like me and that kind of thing whereas actually like i say the people that were doing that were often you know very well schooled from very affluent families that you know mostly they'd chosen to drop out and squat and do whatever but they were in a position where they could sort of afford to do that for a bit and i don't find it to be very sincere as a result whereas prog is it's is issue is that it is too sincere that it is so into what it is that it is just is sometimes a bit tiresome <laughs> because you just think oh come on can not you know can no can no one do a fart joke just once please it's 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 a bit intense but i quite like the fact that it, it is intense and it means something and that's why it stands the test of time i think there, I think there are highs and lows as in any musical situation yeah. yes i found particularly wonderful live i saw them several times <laughs> in the early 70s including at the crystal palace bowl with linda's farm oh i bet that was great my friend now sings uh, now mm. sings with ian anderson and they perform fragile and they go around the country oh, performing it so yes lovely. big fan of yes live on the other hand i remember one of the worst gigs i ever went to now called the wembley arena but then called the empire pool wembley um an absolutely interminable genesis gig it was their last tour with peter gay where they gave us the full experience of the almost unlistenable double album, in fact, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Mm, All 20-odd tracks of it, played in full, in order, terrible racket, and I remember it took us a couple of hours to get out of the car park. So uh, there there were ups ups and downs um, with Progrup, but there's plenty of room in my heart for for your Argent, your Wishbone Ash, Straubs, Hawkwind, Yes, and Emerson, Mm. Lake and Palmer. Absolutely, and there was so much of it as well, and there were so many people <laughs> yes. that were in so many Air different Force. bands as well. And I, I, I do admire the fact that that you know, punk is so brief. But that might be because I'm not sure how much of value they did actually have to say. I'm going to get so much hate mail this week. I don't really care. Whereas, whereas prog <laughs> is yes, it needed some editing. But in a way, why not go on for 12 minutes if you're going to come up with 12 different ideas in 12 minutes? Then why not? Absolutely. Now, Jules, um, when you're not avoiding fish to gut. Where can we find you this coming week? 
Well, I mean, working on the basis that it doesn't all go wrong and I have to shell welts for a living. I will, but I know they don't have bones. Don't write in. Um, I, what will I be doing in the next few days? Well, I have the pleasure of going to the Hastings International Piano Concerto Competition Ooh, semi-finals on Wednesday night, which I'm very much looking forward to. Semi-finals. Uh, I hope it doesn't go to a shootout. Penalty I was going to say, hope it hopefully won't go to extra time because mm. we have got to be somewhere the next day. But yeah, um, I'm looking forward to that very much. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it or not, but for Hastings locally type people, mm. they are showing um, the Slits film at the Electric Palace um, oh, on Friday night, which should be excellent. Um, and I'm also, um, for people that like to plan things in advance for diaries, I'm not sure when we'll do the next one, next mm. one of these, but on Sunday the 3rd of um, 3rd of March, uh, the Radiophonic Workshop are doing a show at the Printworks in oh, Hastings, which wow. I'm really, really looking forward to. It. And I've been asked to DJ, which I'm delighted about. Fabulous. So I might actually play a bit of kraut rock and a bit of prog yeah. as my kind Kind of uh, my sort of weirdy set that I will do between the bands. So I think there are tickets still available for that. So do try and grab one if you can, because it should be. And my my pals that are in an electro duo called Vile Electrodes are playing as well, and they are excellent. So uh, yeah, a few things going on. That sounds really good. The the radio. I'm looking forward gig. to it. Yeah, yeah. They, they've po- they've been posting short videos online of some of the stuff that they're doing, and it looks it looks fantastic. I can't wait. Thanks to you for listening, and thanks to Rona and Hilly as well. And we're back to your themed choices this week with a track from an album due to be released on the 12th of April 2019. Yes, indeed, from the Chemical Brothers new record. I'm always very fond of the Chemical Brothers. And, uh, yeah, the, 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 the flip side of Let's Stay Together and the, the, the uh, eight the eight MPs to date that have left the, 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 the Labour Party and the three that have left the Tories, uh, there was a, a selfie done inevitably in this no, day and age of all of the Labour people that left on the back benches. Uh, Luciana Berger took it. And uh, they did all... Mike Gapes looks about 15 years younger within the last week, I have to say. And... and they all look so relieved and so kind of like you know whether or not you agree with them they have at least done something out of sincerity and it's not a career move in the sense that actually the chances of those are high chance they may all go on to lose their seats but anyway i i thought well let's try the other end of you know apart from you know aside from let's stay together i thought i'd pick this and also it is an absolute banger of a tune because the chemical brothers usually do uh, reliably produce enormous tunes and this is no exception so it's the uh I can't remember if this came before or after. They had another one called Mar, which stood for Mad as Hell. Um, this is I nearly picked that, but I thought that was perhaps overstating it a little bit. So this is uh, this is the Chemical Brothers, and this is Free Yourself. Free yourself. Free yourself. Free yourself. Free yourself. Free yourself. Free me. Free yourself, free them, dance. Free yourself, help to free me, free us. Free yourself, help to free me, free us. Free yourself, dance. Free yourself, dance. Free yourself, dance. Free yourself.
free me, free us, free yourself, help to free me, free us, free us. listening to a DACA Media Production.